And I was really tired of that. And I wanted to change that. I want to change from no, we can't to yes, we can. That just try, experiment that, take the risks because at the end of the day, it's worth take the risk. That's Friba Reziyi, Olympian for Afghanistan in women's judo and human rights activist on this episode of Silver is the New Gold. I'm Karen Lonso, and this is Silver is the New Gold, a podcast that shares stories and insights about women's participation in sports after 35. I talk frequently about barriers to entry and competition for women in sports, because no matter where you are in the world, it is just harder, in many cases, to experience the same access to entry and resources that many men face. And part of why I do this podcast is to talk about how women can help remove some of those barriers. Maybe not systemic ones, not all at once, but at a minimum, we can remove our self-imposed barriers. Get out of our own way, so to speak. But what about those systemic barriers? For all of the gains that we have made in North America, Canada and the U.S. specifically, in some countries in the world, women's rights are being repealed, and there are not just barriers to sports, but blockades, enforced by people raiding your home and threatening your life. My guest today made history. In 2004, at the age of 18, in Athens, she became the first woman athlete to represent Afghanistan at the Olympics. She competed in judo and helped inspire a generation of female athletes. Now, she lives in Vancouver, Canada, and she is still actively advocating for the rights of women and girls in Afghanistan and around the world. I'm honored to have her here today to talk about the current situation in Afghanistan as it relates to women and girls' rights to access sports and to shed some light on the history of life in Afghanistan through the lens of an Olympian. Here she is to share her story. Hi, Friva. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show to chat with me today. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, so I have a lot of questions and things I'd love to learn about you and, and from you, but um, I thought we'd start at the beginning of the sports journey, I guess. Um, you reached the Olympics uh, at age 18 in 2004 in Athens, and you competed in judo. So how did you get involved in judo? Thank you. Um, when Taliban took over um, the central government for the first time in the middle of the uh, 90s my family went to pakistan we took a refuge there and i was a child and i used to watch uh, my brothers um watching mike tyson and other heavy boxing matches on uh, on our small cable tv uh at, in our refugee home and they also watched Layla ali's uh, matches the daughter of uh, muhammad ali clay and I also watched with them, and I fell in love with Leila Ali. I fell in love for the confident woman she was and how she competed and how, how she challenged and she uh, broke the gender barrier uh, for for women, not only in the United States, but all over the world. Excuse me. And I became a huge fan of her. And when in 2001, when the, um, when the nine... 
when the 9-11 happened and USA invaded Afghanistan, my family went back to Afghanistan because um, we believe that it's going to be peaceful from now. We will live in our own country. We were promised peace, democracy, human rights, and education for for girls. Um, We went back, but I was still highly interested in um, pursuing my boxing dream. And I approached a couple of... um, sports coaches at my high school a few um in and in the community and they introduced me to a boxing uh, coach i trained but i was the only girl training boxing uh, at that time in 2000 um in 2002 in, in the entire country and then it was becoming very unsafe for me to do because i was the only girl and it brought a lot of attention because in 2001 Afghanistan was in a time where it was just recovering from the uh, from the from the Taliban, and also just recovering from the uh, civil war, from the Mujahideen war, and everything. And it was just trying to stand up on its own feet. So women's sport was not on the priority list for anybody, and nobody even thought about it. Afghanistan had women's team during 70s and 80s, but not from late 80s to until 2001 because of the uh, civil war uh, and and the Taliban. Um, And it was becoming very unsafe uh, for me uh, until the day that my boxing coach called me and said that he can no longer um, train me because it's not safe. When I insisted that I really want to train, um, he says he said that uh, sport is not more valuable than your life. And he hang up the phone for me. He stopped my training just for my and for my family's safety because he was a very caring coach. But I was still in the search of a uh, um, center for women's sports in Afghanistan. And uh, I was introduced to a dojo, a judo center where we trained judo. I walked into the dojo and I met my very first Afghan coach, who is still uh, my coach, um, Farhad Hazrati. Um, uh, his dojo was supported by a Norwegian nonprofit organization called Judo for Fred, which which means judo for peace and it was run by a norwegian diplomat as well as um, an ex-olympian from norway in judo sports and he highly encouraged women to do judo Uh, i could say that he introduced judo for women in in afghanistan for the first time Uh, men's judo team existed but not women's uh judo team and he introduced me to what, what for, I met both of them simultaneously, and they encouraged me to uh, practice judo. But the first time when I walk into the dojo, I met my coach Farhad, Farhad Hazreti, and I told him that, Coach, I want you to train me boxing because I want to go and ch- and challenge Layla Ali in a boxing oh, ring in nice. Las Vegas. And I said that without even introducing myself. And I said it everything and in one breath. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I said, I truly believe that if I train hard, if I work hard, I will be able to challenge her because she became an icon as well as an opponent in my head whom I could not mm-hmm. pass, go past her. I was like, no, I have to do this. Um, he still jokes about it uh, and reminds me of that time. Um, <laughs> yeah, he stared at me and he says that. Okay, we don't train boxing here, but we do judo. You're welcome to join the dojo. 
So I walked into Dujo and uh, I fell in love with the uh, judo uh, sport because it was very empowering. I felt that I was uh, gaining my confidence. Uh, as soon as I walked on the judo mats, they gave me the uniform and the belt and rolling around. Um, it, it, is, it really spoke to me. That was like something that I could do given my body size, my mentality, my style, everything. So it was a perfect fit. It was also a perfect fit because I was not a typical Afghan girl. By that, I mean, like, I was not, uh, I was a very hard headed child and I was very stubborn and I wanted to rule by my own uh, rules. And I did, I wouldn't, listen to anybody not even my parents I was like this is what I want to do this is I have to do and also I chose a combat sport because I always liked combat sport and also because um, I wanted to prove to the Afghan society that um, women and girls are as strong as men and boys and we are equal Mm -hmm. to them and uh, I realized that sport is a very important uh, a very important thing to bring visibility to women and mm-hmm. girls uh, sports to take spaces and to the show to the community and society that yes we can and also I chose combat sport because um, I wanted to show it to the world that there are Afghan women who compete in combat sports they train and we compete internationally and because I was very I was good at it and I competed locally and I immediately joined the um Afghan women's national team and at that time we were only three girls myself and two other girls we were all teenagers we were very young um it was very it was anomaly in the society for us to do uh for us to to do judo and it was also of course very very not safe and it drew a lot of attention but we continued Mm -hmm. um the two other girls were very very strong um as well and I competed in the region and I competed um Locally, um, the National Olympic Committee in Afghanistan uh, uh, has has have selected me to um, to represent Afghanistan in 2004 um, Athens Olympic Games. We were five athletes. We were two girls, uh, three boys. Uh, myself in judo. Uh, the, the other girl was in. The, she was a runner, 100 meter runner, and there was a wrestler, a boxer, as well as another male uh, runner. So that's how I started my journey to the 2004 Olympic uh, Games, which um, which reminds me that um, throughout the history, only four women have competed at the Olympics and represented Afghanistan in the Olympics in, since then into the present day. Uh, myself and the three other girls. I am the only girl in in a combat sport, um, and the three others were uh, runners. Oh wow! Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's that's. Um, there's a lot in there that I have lots of questions. <laughs> sure. About, but I, I I thought I'd start though. Um, you mentioned that your style and your personality were a good fit for judo. So I think in, in combat sports, because I do fencing, Mm. um, and I have, I have tried, I have not tried judo. And after reading Ronda Rousey's book, I won't lie to you. I do not ever want to get stuck in a locking arm bar. (laughs) (laughs) I would like my shoulder to remain attached to my arm and it's kind of, but you do need to have, um, this, 
desire to not necessarily to harm anybody, but to, to fight, to stand up for yourself. But what about you, your, your physical style, your, I, I want to say your combat style was a good fit for judo. Yes, it was a good fit because, um, I love the philosophy of judo, uh, which we say taizabaki in, in Japanese, which means the control of your mind and body. So in judo, we don't only train physically, we also train our mind. Uh, we empower ourselves mentally and physically as well. Uh, in judo, the more you learn, the better you get, the more humble you get. The more mm -hmm. techniques you learn, the more... Uh, like for for example, you said armbar. You learn how to armbar, how to choke a person, and how to restrain a person on the ground. The more humble you became, and the the more harmless you became. You don't sure. want to harm anybody. And we in judo we have a philosophy and a rule. We say no harm. That's why when we walk on the, uh, to the uh, mats, we bow to our partner first. Although mm -hmm. if even during a competition, we bow to our opponent. That means that I respect you and I will not harm you. Whatever we uh, practice and we perform, that's strictly judo and the competition. But other than that, I mean no harm to you. So you become very harmless person and you become very humble and very gentle. Judo also means in a very gentle way. It also teaches you how to be kind, but also a very good self-defense if you ever have to defend yourself mm -hmm. and you can defend uh, yourself that's the philosophy um, I like and I think that that plays a vital role for uh, for women yes and I would say where um, fencing is similar in that regard like we have the salute before and again that the better you get the I mean you 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 hit with intention you do your actions with intention but the better you are or you go up against better opponents, the less likely you are to get to get hurt because you know how to attack and you know how to defend, you know how to hit your opponent and it's actually very safe. Although I would say in a street fight, judo is probably much more useful than fencing because I don't think anyone carries swords anymore. Um, so yeah, that's really um, interesting. Uh, what was the olympic experience like for you did you realize at the time at 18 how significant your stepping onto the mat as the first female athlete to compete for afghanistan was um and did you did you think at the time like i do this and like i'm going to inspire a whole generation of of girls and women to like take on sport or were you just this is something that i've wanted to do and i'm super excited to be here what was that like for you? It was uh, significant uh, for me, and uh, I was honored and was privileged to be able to represent Afghanistan as the first female uh, athlete. Um, um, I knew that uh, this will uh, this will make history, and this opportunity will open the door for for other Afghan women, and uh, it will also bring attention, positive attention to women's rights, women's rights to sport, education, freedom and democracy, not only in Afghanistan, but also to the world. Um, it was, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's the greatest thing that I've ever done uh, so far in my uh, entire life. Um, 
but as much as it was very victorious and uh, also making history, it was also very, very dangerous because um, there were two two types of reaction I received from the Afghan society. There was the fundamentalists, patriarchy, and then there was also the the youth, the uh, feminists, the uh, uh, people who loved freedom and who respected uh human rights the fundamentalists of course they threatened me they were they were threatened by by my competition and they they started sending me letters to my to myself as well as to my family saying that i brought dishonor to the family because sports for women is a sinful act according to the sharia law and because it according to them it amends sexual vibes to men and if men have those, if they receive those sexual vibes from women, that's sinful act. So fundamentally, and in their uh, philosophy, this, this was something that I, uh, it was forbidden for women. And I, and I did it. But there was also the youth and the women who supported and cheered for me. Um, I also remember that the when I went back to my school, at high school, I was at high school at that time, um, my sports coach um, gathered uh, a younger girls team and they sang national anthem to me. And there was, my picture was uh, at the high school with, next to the Afghan flag. So there was a pride um, as well. But I most, most importantly, I wanted to plant the seed for women's sports uh, in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And I wanted Afghan women to say that you, you can, you are worthy. Afghan women have uh, talent, um, uh, intelligence. They are smart, but all these opportunities are taken away from them. I wanted to create that opportunity for them, that platform, so they can perform and they can shine. Um, That's why I insisted. Growing up in a very patriarchal society and also very dark, uh, closed-minded society, I was getting tired of hearing from from men that Afghan the men that women can't do this when women shouldn't do this uh and also women also girls always telling me that we can't do this because we are women we are not as smart as because mm-hmm. we be, because we are women and I was really tired of that and I wanted to change that I want to change from no we can't to yes we can that just try experiment that take the risks because at the end of the day it's worth take the risk it was extremely dangerous for me as well this was a that was one of the dangerous things i ever done in my life some people call it a a suicide mission but at the end of the day it was worth it for myself and also for uh, for other afghan uh, women and and Let's explore that for a second. So you say the the fundamentalists of in Afghanistan and uh, the Taliban especially think that sports violate Sharia law, but I don't know if there's anything less uh, physically attractive than someone who has been sweating in a, a full fencing uniform at the end. Like, you know what I mean? So... Is it just really a tool of control or do they do you, do you think from experience that they actually believe that it it creates unnecessary sexual desire in men? 
I, 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 I'm, I'm, I have a hard time kind of wrapping my head around that it's sport, sport specifically, or if that's just a tool that they can use to try and control people. Because clearly, from what you've talked about, from the the coaches you know uh, who've who've helped you, and they were mostly, if not all, men. Correct. Uh, your your own father, um, your brothers obviously don't hold that. Um, I would have, well, I shouldn't say obviously, you can tell me different, but they would have probably pressured you to not follow that dream had they believed that sports were negative for, for women. So yeah, I, do you think it's just, it's more of a tool or do you really think that they actually believe that that sports creates that kind of a reaction in men? I was very lucky to be born um, in a modern family. My father always supported uh, what I did. My father, my father, of course, he was worried because of the mm-hmm. challenges and the risks and the threats I would face. He was worried about my safety, but at the same time, he encouraged me. Uh, when I finished my competition at the Athens 2004, and I was extremely sad because I didn't make it to the next round. And I called my uh, my father and my brother, older brother, back home. Um, there was no internet at that time. So there was a like satellite phone. I called, I, I called back and I was crying on the phone um, that I'm so sorry, father, I let you down. Um, this is not what I was expected. And I was like, tearing, uh, tears were coming out of my um eyes like like mm-hmm. shower and uh, and my father said that don't worry about not winning but you made history this is the first step on the moon that made me feel a little bit better and he always supported uh, me and he always loved me for the crazy person i was i was not a normal uh typical normal calm child i am much calmer now because i'm an adult <laughs> but as a <laughs> child you didn't want to meet me and um my mother always uh, said to me that um uh, that you're a crazy child and one time she said to me that when when i drove her crazy and she said that i wish someday you have a child she's a daughter and she's exactly like you <laughs> But my father always supported me. So my father and I have four brothers. Two of my brothers were very supportive of me and they still are very supportive of whatever I mm-hmm. do. They accepted me for whatever I, whatever I do. I still do. They respect me for that and they and they support me for that. But two, two of the brothers, not so much. Um, mm. But in, when it comes to the controlling woman, um, as I mentioned earlier, in the philosophy of Sharia law, uh, women's sport it violates Sharia law code, and it's forbidden for women for the reasons I mentioned. But it's also it's used as a tool to control women, because mm-hmm. sports empower women. Once women are empowered, they take control of their lives, and they can lead themselves. It enlightens women, and that's what the fundamentalists are scared of. They don't want women to be independent. They don't want women to be smart and educated. They mm-hmm. want to keep women un- as uneducated as possible so they can control. There is a saying in the fundamentalist community, and this is a true story, that women is like a, a like a bird. You have to cut one of her wing- wings, otherwise she's going to fly away. Once she flies away, you have no control over her. 
nothing there's nothing more precious and pleasant for patriarchy than uh controlling women and what i mean patriarchy i mean like the ultimate version of patriarchy mm-hmm. so that is also used as a rhetoric uh to control the society not only women but the entire society and to lead and to control the entire nation yeah and and so that so so you're you're training under threat of of physical harm possibly um you know fear of 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 death the the Taliban were in power from 1996 to 2001 mm-hmm. so after 9/11 the US came in and things started to change but uh, there's still a lot of resistance from fundamentalists or or maybe even just men who weren't sure. Maybe they were afraid, you know, of fundamentalists or people who weren't sure how to express views of support of women. Um, so so you go to the Olympics and it's this amazing experience, but you're you're, you know, I think as all athletes would be, you're devastated that you didn't move on to the second round. But who who did you have to train with? Who who were your your training partners? How did you? Because uh, as you know, as all women do, training against men is different. Even if you're in a middleweight class, if you go up against a seventy kilogram man, he's probably stronger than you. Just physiologically, we're we're different. So how did how did you train? How, who did you train with and prepare for the Olympics in that in that environment? Yeah, um, there were um, two other girls in my size, uh, height and size, um, weight, um, in Af- back in Afghanistan. So we trained together a lot. And I had mm-hmm. to train against men as well. Uh, my coach, two coaches, uh, Farhad Hazreti and Stig Travik, uh, the uh, ex-Olympian from Norway, They I trained with them as well, and I had to train with them. And um, before the 2004 Olympic Games, um, the actual matches we went to Greece and we trained for three and a half months in advance so once we went there we had uh, even better facility partners uh, training uh, training uh, opportunity and how was how was that to get to go to Athens ahead of time for a few months and like get to be with these other judoka who you could learn from and train from like did you feel that right up to the Olympics, you you just learned so much in a short amount of time, like leading into this massive event. It was the greatest thing ever. And uh, it was my first time that I saw ocean in my life. Oh, wow. Uh, ocean, yes. Uh, in Greece, uh, first we went to... Um, uh, we went to Thessaloniki and then Lesbos and uh, Athens later. Um, it was my first time. And it was my first time also riding on, uh, on a ferry. And it was a long a ferry ride from uh, from Thessaloniki to uh, to Lesbos. And uh, I sat uh, in, inside the ferry and I looked outside from the little window because it was like 12 hours ferry ride. Uh, I was looking outside in the ocean and I could not get my eyes off the ocean. And I was waiting to see and I was hoping to see a dolphin or a whale jumping off the uh, in the in the in the water cell. See them. I was that interested, and yeah, and um, seeing other judokas, meeting the national team from Greece, and uh, when 
when it was closer to the actual uh, game and more teams from different countries came in. So we got to see them. We met them. We trained with them. I trained with Team Australia. I, I trained with Team Britain and also Team Japan and so many other teams. They were like the Olympic team with their coaches, facility and everything. It was it was great. And uh, we made very good friends uh, as well. That is one of the experience that I will never, ever uh, forget. And um the more I was experiencing that, the more I wanted other women from Afghanistan to to have that experience because it's so significant and it's also necessary. Um, I feel bad for other Afghan women being trapped at home, not have mm-hmm. this opportunity. And I wanted them to have um, that opportunity. And that's why we... Um, we 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 formed the non-profit organization women leaders of tomorrow and when i was training uh, full time uh, in in afghanistan it was extremely dangerous um mm-hmm. and uh, our dojo was um about 1 hour 1 hour 20 minutes walk from where i lived and i at the beginning my family did not have a car and we girls we are not allowed to ride bike and uh, because Jeez. I, yeah, and because we did not have a good um, income, I could not afford uh, the, uh, the to pay transit, to take a transit. Sometimes I could afford, sometimes I couldn't. So mm-hmm. I would walk and my, my, my training would end in the evening. And it's very dangerous for women to walk uh, mm-hmm. in, at night alone. But I, at night, I mean, like, even if it's like evening, so I would yeah. walk back from our dojo to home for like 45 minutes, one hour to 20 minutes, sometimes depending how tired I was. And on the road, um, because I was becoming known for the girl who does judo and um, I dyed my, I cut my hair very, very short, like a boy's haircut and I dyed sure. it red and I refused to wear hijab. So that put, put me on the spot. So whenever I was walking outside, people would recognize me. So whenever mm-hmm. I walked from Dujo to home, people would see me. A lot of men and boys would see me. They would physically abuse me. They would verbally abuse me. Um, they did whatever uh, pleased them. And w- they did whatever to shun me for choosing to do sports. And also, uh, they wanted to control me. They they threatened. My neighbors threatened me. Everybody who knew threatened me. They wanted they wanted me to stop because I was also seen as a the girl who will corrupt the youth and will mislead, not mislead, sorry, misguide um, mm-hmm. the other Afghan uh, women. That's a lot to take on as a, you know, 14 to 18 year old. Um, what kind of supports did you have from, I guess, the, it was the Dutch Federation that had set up um the the dojo correct that you were working with what no it was from norway uh oh, sorry for, norway judo for fred nor yeah so what supports did they have for you um to help keep you safe and did they also help fund you at all uh you know you you were saying just now like you sometimes couldn't afford to take transit or transportation so mm-hmm. um you had to walk. So, you know, how did they, how did they su- help support your, your dream and help um, keep you safe, uh, you know, during, during all of this? They mostly supported me with their training and facility. 
the dojos and the training. And they also um, invited two other female uh, coaches from Norway to train us because um, there was there was it was um, the news was spreading in the community that there are men training women and that was very dangerous. And we did not have we still don't have a prominent a female coach for in judo and they two two women came from norway um mm-hmm. they were also part of the judo for fred uh, non-profit organization and they helped me a lot uh, for my uh well-being and they also helped me a lot mentally that you can do this um this is a big step to take on but we are here with you especially stick travik and my afghan coach uh farhad hasrati they did uh, support me and my um my father and one of my brother and of course my sisters were uh, very supportive uh, of that but i knew that's the right thing to do for me i knew that this is something i want to do so once you have the will and the motivation no nothing can stop you i i even got rocks thrown at me i even got Jeez. like verbally abused people would push me on the street that for for playing sport but nothing stopped me and I was like I wanted to finish this I wanted to go compete show mm-hmm. to the world that yes I can and then come back uh come back home did your training in judo end up being the right sport not just because your physical style and your ability but um did it help you control your emotions towards all of these people who showed you hate, I guess is the, the word I, um, I know that, you know, fencing is a good tool for me to control my emotions. And did, did judo help you with that part of it? Um, if you had played a different sport, it might've been more difficult to, to handle all of the backlash that you were receiving. Absolutely. Uh, it helped me tremendously uh, mentally and uh, I was able to control my emotions because no matter what happened outside, no matter what happened on the road, as soon as I would walk down, walk down the judo mats, put on a uniform, tie the belts and start rolling, uh, I would forget whatever happened outside. So the two, three hours of intensive training would really would really help me reset. And I always call it uh, a therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was really, really, um, helpful, definitely. And the sport is different for different people. For example, fencing for you, for some people it's wrestling, for some people it's soccer, uh, whatever it is, but that is it, that is the therapy that is you. Whenever I was on the mats, that was just me and the mat and I was competing against myself and I always wanted to improve, um, myself and in my mind I was like okay I'm here for three hours training intensive training I'm gonna just worry about my training now and worry about the fundamentalists and the drug society um later so and and because the training was so intense you have no time to think about anything else you're forced to focus right. on your techniques on your physical uh, physical ability and it's also because it's physical literacy physical education so you're very your mind is very occupied mm-hmm. thinking and training to improve yourself and make the best version of yourself if you want to compete uh, internationally so that's why i hold it very precious uh Preciously, and it, it's very important to me that I was able to do, I was able to do, and this is why I want other women to experience as well. Yes, I. That's amazing. Um, 
yeah, absolutely agree with all of that. <laughs> uh, uh, I, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. And uh, when I returned from the uh, Olympic Games, um, hundreds of, and thousands of other Afghan women um, participated and joined different sports. Um, women joined soccer, volleyball, basketball, uh, you name it, Afghan women did. Uh, we even had a curling team, which was supported by Canada. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, in, in Bamiyan <laughs> province, because they get a lot of snow and they, they, they built a rink. Uh, for curling and fencing. We had a very good women's fencing and men's uh, f- fencing. But martial arts became particularly popular because its uniform is very covered from head to toe. Mm-hmm. And also it's because it's an indoor sport. Sure. Uh, so it became very popular. And uh, all mar- all forms of martial arts became very popular. Judo, karate, uh, taekwondo. We had an excellent team of taekwondo, wushu so many other martial arts martial arts so there was like a it was a sports revolution for uh, for afghan women and uh, a lot of women like hundreds of women joined and they said that if freeba can so can we so it was like opening a door for um for ha- uh, hundreds and thousands of other women and that was worth to take the risk for yeah i was just going to say and how did that make you feel after being told that you're not and normal or that you don't behave like other girls do to then see the impact and and give courage to other young girls who wanted to play sports to get out there and and do it it feels great um it feels great and some it's at some point somehow it also feels very sad because i it's sad to see that some women think that, like they are not able to, they don't have mm-hmm. the um, the ability because of their gender. But it feels really good to see that um, that I had a positive impact uh, on them and they saw me as a pioneer of women's sports um, uh, in Afghanistan. So it's really an honor to be able to uh, do that. And I always say to people, when they say to me that, this is not normal. You're not normal. And I accepted that. Yes, I'm not normal. <laughs> and I didn't <laughs> want to be because it was so boring. As, as I mentioned, I was a very stubborn child and I always wanted to do things in my own way. And I was very active. My mother expected me to be a very traditional, calm Afghan girl who would always uh, stay at home, just go to school and then come back, do the chores, be a very good obedient girl. Uh, oh dear. <laughs> but I turned out to be the opposite. I would go outside, <laughs> drive the car, rock the car, and then come oh, back God. with bruises all over my body. I would come home with a broken arm or a broken leg. And my mother would be like, like that, face yeah, palm. Face palm. <laughs> yeah. Did she finally look at judo and think, well, at least this is manageable. <laughs> yes, yes, that made her happy. Yes, at the beginning, uh, she was she was worried about my security and everything, and mm-hmm. what people gonna say, the gossip from the uh, the community and the, from the neighborhood. But later, she she was very happy, and as you said, that she realized that okay, this is more manageable. At least she's focused on something than yeah. <laughs> than like doing 10 different things in one day and getting uh getting in trouble and also getting the entire family into trouble what mm-hmm. mo- what bothered my mother the most was that um because of my shenanigans uh 
my the neighbor the women from the neighbor neighbors a neighbor will come and sit down with, with with her and say that what i'm doing is very unacceptable it's not traditional for afghan women to do and she would mm-hmm. bring she brings dishonor to the family and i don't want our girls to um to fall in her footsteps so my mother was um my mother was uh, tired of that but at the end of the day she was uh she was proud of me is that another level of barrier or another set of barriers i mean we've talked a bit about the patriarch and i kind of want to come back to some of that but you talked about how your neighbors would get upset and how it would look on them so i think here uh and i say here in in canada north america if you do something it looks bad on you and like maybe if you're a child, you you know, you might get some like, is that bad parenting? But no one's going to call anyone really out on that. Um, but it's a, a bit different, the honor system in Afghanistan, isn't it? Like that could really be problematic if if your neighbors feel like you're dishonoring your family or, or it's like reflecting back on them. Is that another uh, barrier for, for women getting to sports? Just... Like, never mind the impact to you or what, you know, the boys in the street might do. But what if my family actually gets into trouble for this? Absolutely. Um, Throughout my life, being a feminist and fighting for women's rights and gender equality, I learned that there are many forms of patriarchy. There's mm-hmm. not only one traditional patriarchy. So there's the, main, the patriarchy, men against women, but there's also women against women. The uh, internal Mm -hmm. patriarchy that exists among women, um, which I blame the old traditional patriarchy because that was the impact on women Mm -hmm. had. But definitely the internal uh, patriarchy definitely existed. And that's another barrier for women, for Afghan women to come uh, to to achieve uh, what, what they want to do. So... That's actually in some points as a big barrier because that starts from within homes, within our right. women community, within our small circle, from our peers. We don't we don't get support uh, from other women and other girls. As many as many times that I re- as much as received threats from the patriarchy from men, I also received from 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 women. For example, those neighbors and women who saw me on the. Um, on the television and who who heard my interview on the local radio after my match and i remember a very specific time when i returned from the games um i was invited by the minister of women's affair in afghanistan to give a speech about women's rights and i went inside the ministry and the ministry had a guard and the, um, there was a checkpoint and the there was a woman who would search people for for safety. Um, so she she searched me and she was like, "Oh, aren't you that famous uh, Freiba who went to the Olympics?" I was, yeah. And she said that if you were my daughter, I would have killed you for what you did. Jeez. Yes. And I was really shocked, and I still remember that day vividly because I was like. This is supposed to be women's, <laughs> yeah, right, women's, yeah, affair, and you you must support women. When I mentioned that to her, she says, "Yes, I support women to become doctors and teachers, 
but not what you did, not women's sport, the way you competed and you were on the mats, you did not cover your head. That's not something that I'm proud of. That's not something that I would encourage my daughters to do that. And she shunned me for that. And she shunned my entire family for allowing me to do that. I was, I was very tired and busy. I just didn't continue the uh, the conversation. Mm-hmm. Then I went inside the ministry, and I had a very good meeting with uh, Suraya Habib, who was the minister of uh, minister of women's affairs at that time. But she was very, very nice and very respecting. I still remember my meeting with her. How much she encouraged me, and she said that um, how proud uh, she was. Uh, she was of my uh, achievement and they they um, held a special event meeting and speech and discussion with other Afghan women about that. So definitely that's another barrier we have to overcome. Do you think it comes from a place of survival for those women and less about control? Like this is how I have survived and my way of surviving is to um, not make waves Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. It is, I think, it is survival. And also because um, when women dare to do something, always bad things happen to them and they were stopped and they had that experience and the trauma uh, in them. So they don't want uh, to face that um, experience and trauma again. That's why they do it. And also uh, because uh, they don't, as, as, as they say, that they don't want to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. And they always told me, um, that no free, but now it's not the time to fight for gender equality. No, now it's not the time to bring the uh, gender issue. No, now it's not the time to speak about human rights and w- women's rights in our family or in our society. Uh, it's going to be, it's a discussion to have like 30 years uh, from now, but not now. But I always had this question that if not now, then when? Yeah, the exactly. time for gender equality will never ever come by itself. You have to create that time and the period and the the opportunity to talk about it and to fix it as soon as you can. I read recently that uh, some of the international sporting federations, such as cricket, are insisting that a country have both women's and men's teams in order to retain their memberships and compete in international, um, at least test matches, if not like World Cups and, and whatnot. Do you think this kind of pressure will have a positive impact for women? Or do you think men who want to play these sports, um, do you think they're going to end up being penalized by this? So let's say if Afghanistan decides they're not going to create a women's cricket team and register that as well, are are the men going to get penalized? And if they do get penalized, are there going to be repercussions on women, even if Women aren't the ones responsible for these policies. Um, I would like to begin my sentence with that uh, politics should not play in sport. Uh, athletes should not pay the price of um, politics, whatever uh, it is. Athletes are peacemakers. We are here to bring peace and changes into the society. And mm-hmm. uh, athletes played a very important role in Afghan society because they were symbol of peace, education, kindness and also a sane mind but when it comes to um the situation uh, for for afghanistan um the world can adopt other strategies to 
to make sure that Afghan women participate in different sports without penalizing, without imposing their political pressure on the athletes directly, I am sure that there are alternative strategies that they could follow to make sure that um, women, women pres- women's present, presence is in the, in, in the competition. Mm-hmm. We have to get yeah. creative and innovative and also I mean, treating the athletes, treating athletes with the respect that they deserve and also have gender equality. They can, they, it could coexist. They have to just come with that, that idea and creativity uh, to mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. And I agree with that sentiment that, that sports should not be political, but especially when you're talking about international competitions in the Olympics, for sure. I mean, it's very hard to say that sports aren't political. And I think, I mean, 1972 Munich, right? They had the mm-hmm. terrorist attack. Then that was, and I, my husband and I, we went to Munich. We went to the, when we went to Germany, we went to the Olympias stadiums in both Munich and, and Berlin. And they told us the difference of Munich and like they had tried to, create this open, like welcoming Olympic stadium. And then they had the terrorist attack. So I think saying, yeah, like ideally in an ideal world, sports and politics would be separate from each other, but we've seen that that's not the case. And I, I think, um, I think you're a perfect example of how just by showing up at the Olympics and being the first Afghan woman to compete in an event, I realized it was a scheduling thing, but the point is, is you were, and it made a, a, a cultural and political statement, whether that was your intention or not, you know, the world saw that, Hey, Hey, there are women in Afghanistan and guess what? They like sports and, and they've been oppressed for decades. And yet here they are and that they're, they're able to compete on the world stage. And, and we have to take notice of this. And then those are the kinds of events, again, not necessarily intentional by you for that, but those kinds of things create political backlash, either, either from people in your, your country who are for it or against it or people on the, the, the world stage to, to say, hey, we got to look into these human rights issues. How come? Yeah, I never realized we didn't see an Afghan woman competing in the Olympics before. What the heck? Like, you know what I mean? So I, I, I don't know if that's going to be, you know, a, a tool to help keep women mm-hmm. in other countries at the international level. But I'm not sure that I I think right now we can say that we can't remove politics from from sports. Absolutely. Unfortunately, um, it's complicated politics and sports because um, it seemed like I 100% agree with you. And it seems like it is used whenever it serves someone mm-hmm. at, the, at the best for example if you're sitting during a olympic match and if you're just a participant in the audience and if you hold a political sign they will compl- they will immediately take you down and they will kick you out of the a- arena because they don't mm-hmm. want to pol- they don't want to be political but they want to be political when they want to be sure it's very complicated so i think they just follow and do it however and whenever it serves them Mm -hmm. but ultimately it hurts the athletes 
not the political uh, actors, not the political figures, not the authorities. It comes back down back to the um, athletes. And mm-hmm. I don't think anybody, any athletes benefit from that. I don't think any athletes uh, deserve, uh, deserve that. I think there's a whole other episode about how athletes at like the elite level competitions are the lowest on the priority. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> really. Um, yes. And that's a very good, that is a very good example that um, I'm a, a part of a coalition team to uh, evacuate the Afghan female athletes from Afghanistan. There are a hundred plus um female athletes who are trapped in Afghanistan and they're at high risk. Um, this is a political issue and they're not uh, paying attention to it. And whenever we bring to the, that issue to the, the Canadian government or the Sports Federation, they say, no, it's not a political issue. Let it be like, let it deal with the sports uh, mm-hmm. policies, procedure, whatever it is. But it is a political issue. It's very, very complicated. That brings back to my point that because of their political agenda or whatever it is, our female athletes, our athletes in Afghanistan are are suffering. Mm-hmm. We have been trying to evacuate uh, the hundred plus female athletes from different sports, including the judo team, since the middle of August, since the government collapsed. But we are not successful. I have written a letter to Prime Minister's office and uh, the entire uh, Canadian women's soccer team, gold medalists from Tokyo 2020 uh, Olympic Games, signed my uh, my letter. Uh, letter. And there's so many other Canadian um, Olympians, ex-Olympians, human rights lawyers, prominent uh, women leaders, um, judges, human rights uh, activists, they, they signed my letter, but we still haven't gotten an answer from the Canadian government to help them evacuate. And all our female athletes are are trapped. They are at home. They are in hiding. They are hiding mm-hmm. from the Taliban. And one of our um, member of volleyball team was uh, caught. Um, Taliban found her and then they, they lashed her. They sent me a picture of her arm, her body, Taliban lasher for playing a sport. Uh, as soon as the Taliban returned, they banned women's uh, sports. They released an official decree on this, uh, September 19, making it illegal for women to um, to uh, com- participate or compete in any any sports. And all the dojos, the dojo where I was training, it's closed. It was not only closed, the Taliban and the Haqqani group they were patrolling and they walked on, my, on our judo dojo mats with their dirty shoes looking for women to come for training so they could apprehend them. They were also looking for my Afghan female, Afghan male coach. He was also on their, at high risk because he trained women and he supported mm-hmm. women and he allowed uh, mixed gender training for Afghanistan. They're looking for him as well. One of our female athletes' house was raided by the Taliban by help from from a Canadian community and my contacts in Afghanistan. We were able to find her shelter on time. But uh, she waited for five nights, five days at the airport in the inside the car with her father to get a chance uh, to be airlifted by the either U.S. or Canadian military airplanes. So that's the situation. Um, I'm in contact with the volleyball team, with the judo team, with uh, with the other team. Um, they're all in hiding. They can't even post a single thing on social media because they could be tracked down uh, by the Taliban. And um, 
it's really frustrating to see that the um, the authorities and the politicians are not paying attention uh, to this. Um, we have given their list, we have provided the list with our reason um, to the uh, U.S. and the Canadian um, immigration authorities, but we haven't received or heard anything um, from them. The Canadian government promised that they will evacuate and uh, give refuge to women leaders, human rights defenders, um, but they haven't as much as they, they promised. The female athletes uh, were um, leaders and they were human rights defenders because for us, it was not just a sport. It was our rights to play mm-hmm. sport. And uh, I use sport as to fight for human rights and I'm still am human rights defender and so are so many other um, uh, Afghan female uh, athletes. And I, I think the cultural minister of the new Taliban regime was quoted as saying that sports are not necessary for women. That's paraphrasing. But all the efforts of people like yourself, um, you know, and, and the fact that they are, are in hiding and many are, I uh, think there were a number, women's soccer team was evacuated to Portugal. The amount of... Um, you know, women and coaches in in hiding who are, are are doing whatever they can to to get out. You know, really pokes holes in that statement. Like sports are obviously very very important to many women and girls in Afghanistan. So you have a not for for profit set up, and you've the Canadian women's soccer team has has reached out. Um, but what what other uh, work do you do with your organization to help women and girls? So you you actually immigrated to Canada in 2011, so you've been here for you know been a Canadian for a, a decade now. Um, you went to school here, and you have your organization, and so the urgency of evacuating women and girls, especially athletes who are are being targeted, is probably a very prominent issue right now, but. But what else does your organization do to help women and girls in Af- Afghanistan and who are struggling to, to stay in or to get into to sports? Um, when I came to Canada, um, I was interested in, uh, in higher education and I also wanted to practice my freedom. There's nothing more precious to me than my freedom. And I'm so grateful to, to Canada and the Canadian community that it has given me that freedom. And I went to UBC and I always wanted to start an organization, form an organization that would help Afghan women be empowered by education and by uh, sport. Uh, I went to UBC and I'm also the first uh, woman from my family to have a university degree. And going to UBC changed my life uh, drastically and dramatically. And uh, I was so empowered by education and uh, to see that there is no limit in academics and you can learn as much as you want as you can. Um, that was really empowering and that really spoke to me. And I believe that in Canada, you can be your own boss. You can be a good leader. You have the freedom and the resources. And also pe- because people are very kind, you, you get the support. Uh, in 2008, I formed the nonprofit organization Women Leaders of Tomorrow. And we have three main objectives. Our first objective is to find scholarships for young qualified Afghan women to different universities in North America, as well as other universities as well. Uh, based on their interest and uh, suitability and programs and everything. Um, We have been very successful uh, with that. We found uh, scholarships for um, 
excellent and intelligent, um, brilliant Afghan women who received the first, um, uh, who scored the highest score at the university interest exam in 2020, Shamsi Alizada, and she's also our spokesperson for girls' education for uh, for Women Leaders of Tomorrow. And we recently uh, secured a scholarship for 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 one of our high school students. Oh, nice. uh, yeah, thank you. At Shawnigan Lake uh, School, um, that student was uh, a student of one of the best school, private schools in, in Afghanistan, and her studies were interrupted because of the Taliban, and she mm. wanted to continue her high school, and she wanted to finish her high school because she wants she wants to become the first female president of Afghanistan, and she's wor- still working on it. So Shawnigan Lake School at uh, Vancouver Island was very kind, and they offered her Fulbright scholarship. And oh, nice. we have, thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we have also started an initiative with the Simon Fraser University to support and to raise funds for scholars at risk. Uh, with the Women Leaders of Tomorrow, we raise funds, we raise awareness, and to make sure that those scholars who are at risk, they will receive uh, the, the the formal education that they needed and, and, and they want. So that's going very, uh, very well. Um, also, our Second objective uh, was um, and still is our sports component goal, which stands for Girls of Afghanistan Lead. And it was a very, very successful uh, project and still is. Um, the purpose of that project was to um, to empower women through sports. And uh, when as soon as I started this organization, I was receiving more support, support than the actual size of the organization from Japan, from France, from oh, International wow. Judo Federation. Yes. And so we received um, support, uh, two weeks training at the by uh, NPU, nonprofit organization in Japan at Tokai University, where the world's best judokas train there. They have trained like hundreds of Olympians. Canadian teams sometimes go there uh, mm-hmm. train uh, as well with the with the Japanese uh, team and Tokai University Tokai Dojo is very very well known for any judoka in the world so we went there for two weeks um, I flew from Canada to Tokyo um, the two girls flew from Afghanistan to Tokyo in, uh, in December 2019 and they were receiving world class class training and they were traveling for the first time and that was the first time they got their passports and they oh, were wow. becoming, yeah, thank you. And they became the uh, prominent uh, judokas. And that was our purpose to empower women through sport. They either become professional athletes, coaches, instructors, or a leader in their community because, mm-hmm. um, because we want to give them that uh, opportunity. And one of them became instructor one of the, at one of the private schools in Afghanistan. And one of them became a prominent uh, judo athlete. And by help uh, from Women Leaders of Tomorrow, we raised funds and we raised um, awareness. And we were able to send one of those girls to one of the big judo's biggest competition, Grand Slam, in Tashkent, Uzbekistan, in March 20, um, 2021. And she competed very well. That was a milestone for us because before that, before my competition and a couple of years later, Afghan women only participated at the judo in, um, in 2013 Asian Games in Hong Kong. Oh, but after that, because a big of, gap. 
It is, yes. And that gap occurred because of the lack of interest, patriarchy, disorganized mm. federation and everything, and also discrimination against women. So we wanted to bring back Afghan women's uh, judo at the, at the sports arena and make, make sure that they compete and they are seen and they have presence in the, in the competitions. And she competed uh, very well. And she competed against the world champion from uh, Great uh, Britain. Um, I watched her uh, competition live from, from Vancouver so it was, it was awesome and um more girls were joining the judo we we gave them funding uh internet connection to the dojo we had a very good social media presence and um through women leaders of tomorrow and its gold project we were able to prepare and uh, train and mentor another afghan female athlete to in judo sport to compete at the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. She did not represent Afghanistan. She was a member of um, IOC's uh, refugee team. Mm, but I was going to ask back. I yeah. was about that. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, but we are very proud of her because she's from Afghanistan. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Women's of Tomorrow, with the help from our Af- uh, uh, coach from Afghanistan, Farhad Hazrati, we were able to collaborate with IOC, IJF, International Judo Federation, to, pre- to prepare her for, for training. Before the Olympics, she, um, she uh, participated at other Grand Slams. I believe one was in Dusseldorf, Germany, and then one in Kazan, Russia. And then the, uh, the Olympic Games. She was actually at the Olympic Games um, that the central government uh, collapsed. So those were our highlights and milestones. And those were the projects that we were actively working on. And we're very, very, very successful. Successful, uh, with yeah. That. Yeah, thank you. Until, until the government collapsed. And our um, third objective is our mentorship and English language training program. Uh, we recruit all volunteer teachers and tutors from North America as well as European countries to teach and mentor girls um, and women in Afghanistan online. And one of our teacher is from, and she teaches from New Finland, one of the oh, teenagers. Wow. Yes, and there was <laughs> nice. an article about her as well. Uh, have you heard of the Salt, salt Wire Athletic uh, column in New Finland? Um, no, I need to wrote, look that up though. Yes, that would. It's very interesting. It's also very, very sweet uh, to see someone from uh, New Finland uh, teaches uh, a teenage girl in in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, this was only English language training program and mentorship, and one of our mentor. Uh, uh, provided mentorship to uh, Nigara Shaheen, who competed at 2000, uh, 2020 Olympic Games with her t- coach, with the, her judo training, and as well as with, like mentorship over overall. Uh, it was going very well, and still is going very well. That's supposed to be only for English language training program, but because women's studies education are interrupted we want to expand that into academic uh, classes uh, we started only from like 10 students but right now we surpassed like we close to 50 we have like oh, wow. 50 teachers yes yeah, yeah. And, and the girls um they're receiving um mentorship and uh, english language training program two three times uh a week so those are our objectives those are what we're what we are doing uh, in afghanistan uh, yeah, and I I think it's really important. So originally when I, I started this podcast was to try and talk to, you know, women 35 plus. Um, I have this, well, part of it's selfish because I want more women to play with. And part of it is um, 
how important sports has been in in my life. And I know what barriers we've had in Canada, just, you know, the patriarchy exists everywhere. But, you know, what we face here doesn't really hold a candle to to what you've been through and what the women and girls are going through again in Afghanistan and in other parts of the world. And um, I, I honestly believe from that, you know, so two things. First of all, education, uh, I, I think that's the only way we can really improve the lives of, of women everywhere is through education first. And of course, sports are near and dear to my heart. Maybe it's music for some, art for another, but a way to express your your passion and emotions in a a, a functional <laughs> um, manner is is also really really important. So I think it's really important to learn from somebody who's lived it what the problems are. And I think the other thing too, uh, you know, with um, the articles and with the podcasts is. Here, we're so far removed from what women in other countries are facing that we need to be repeatedly told. And I, I think, honestly, like, you know, you you watch movies about it or you, you watch newsreels about it, but I think there's like a part of, of your brain that shuts off to the reality because it's really hard to imagine that people can actually do those actions to other people. If you're not the kind of person who would ever want to like oppress or beat up or, you know, throw rocks at someone, it's really hard to like wrap your head around and accept that that's actually real. Um, so, you know, that's when I heard, I heard your story on as it happens, I was like, oh my God, like I really, really want to talk to this woman because, um, you know, you, you've, you you worked so hard to to get to the Olympics in spite of all the barriers you had. You're still fighting to get women in Afghanistan into sport. And, you know, one day maybe women's participation in sport is going to be so ubiquitous that we can't possibly shut it down. Uh, I mean, that would be, who knows what that's going to be. <laughs> but that would be the dream that you, you can't say no, it's everywhere. Like, how do you shut this down? Like the need for food is so important. You can't, you can't shut it down. Right. Absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, acknowledging, acknowledging that I am aware that um, women in Western countries go through a lot and they have to, they had to fight for their rights as well. For example, the famous five, the, um, the female prime minister of Canada, Kim, uh, mm -hmm. so many other political figures and women leaders also fought for their rights. It was not easy uh, for them. And thanks for, for that um, acknowledgement. And I have a great appreciation for the Western women who uh, who were the pioneers of women's rights and gender equality, because hadn't they fought for gender equality, then I as an immigrant wouldn't have the right and the freedom and the respect in the Canadian society now. So I'm very grateful to them. But yes, it is true that um, Afghan women are suffering more than developed countries because of mm -hmm. the war, because of the lack of education, lack of interest, cultural background, religious uh, reasons uh, for, for that. Um, but there's a way to um, 
and it's absolutely possible and easy to um, to close the the gap, build a bridge between Afghan women from Afghanistan and Canadian women and Western women uh, in, in in Canada. It's very easy to do it. Uh, a great example is that Women Leaders of Tomorrow has an advocacy farm. It's only 45 minutes walk with the hashtag walk with Afghan women. With the hashtag G-O-A-L goal, hashtag women leaders of tomorrow. With the hashtag that raise awareness, for, for example, hashtag million, 5 million girls are out of school currently. Hashtag we want job, employment, uh, and freedom. So those are hashtag for, for media. And it. And that's the advocacy that anyone can organize it in their own time, pace, and community. Just tag us with those hashtags and raise awareness about Afghanistan, about Afghan women. We were successful in organizing that um, in November and December in Vancouver during cold weather. One of our private, one of the private schools in Vancouver, Crofton House uh, Girls' School, they have organized that walk, and all the girls, uh, grade eleven, they they made these giant posters with the hashtag Walk with Afghan Women, and they walked on the street for forty five minutes, and they took picture and they posted that on social media, and that raised awareness, and more people from the community have contacted them and have contacted me, contacted me to uh, to support in any way they can, whether it's a donation, whether it's a involving Afghanistan um, in, a, in a discussion. So whatever they did. And it's very easy and and you can do it. And we are not very different. We may live in Afghanistan and Canada, but at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we mm-hmm. all have rights. And human rights doesn't have a hierarchy. It's It has a flat structure. Everybody's right come at the, come at the same time. And... Um, it's very easy for uh, for Canadian women and women who were born and raised here to engage with the Afghan women. Just keep Afghanistan and Afghan women on, on your agenda. Reach out to Afghan community in any way that you can help. I'm not asking people to do much, but I am asking people to do something. Whenever there's a table discussion, meeting, speaking about Afghanistan, especially about Afghan women, invite a woman from Afghan community mm-hmm. There's a large um, Afghan uh, population in Ontario and in BC, as well as at Alberta. And there are so many, 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 many Afghan uh, women who are educated, who are very um, uh, assertive, and who are also women leaders who would love to, and who it's, it's their space to come and talk about Afghan women's uh, issues. So invite them. And now, especially after the influx of Afghan women refugees from Afghanistan, a lot of the uh, parliamentarian bosses, leaders, athletes, all those, a lot of women are coming to Canada. So there's unlimited supply of those women to be invited, for example, in your podcast meeting, discussion, speech, anything that involves Afghan women to, uh, to, to talk about. And we can, we can uh, bring the gap, uh, we can close the gap between the, um, the women in North America and uh, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And I just want to go back and correct myself a little bit and say that there are other groups of women who experienced barriers worse than I have. I don't, you know, I'm not trivializing um, anyone who's been racialized or, um, you know, the LGBTQ yeah. plus community. I know they face different barriers than I have faced. I just was, 
I just wanted to clarify that I just mean that we don't have the civil war and the the militaristic issues that uh, Afghanistan has. So I, I'm not like trying to to offend anyone. I just that's kind of what I I meant by that. But yeah, um, but still, you're you you're very inspiring, Freeba. Um, and Thank I. You. Um, we can only anyone listening to this can only be inspired really by your your courage and determination. Um, you know, I, I think of myself as not a normal, typical woman either, but I don't know <laughs> Where did I, if I grew up in the environment you grew up in. Could I say I could do the same things? I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, it's it's really incredible, um, and all the work that that you're you're still doing. So. Um, what's, uh, what's your future, future in judo? Do you, are you, you know, you're, you're working with, um, women leaders of tomorrow and you're setting up these, um, training camps. Do you, do you get to go and like learn, learn some new stuff? Do you get to take part in any of that and improve your judo or you, or, uh, what are you going to do with judo going forward? Um, I all, I'm always learning new things from, from judo. It's never, uh, ending, but, um, it's like so profound, but I love it. I'm, I'm still learning so much. Uh, my future, my future immediate goal is to, uh, get Afghan women's team at the Paris 2024 Olympic games. I know what's happening in Afghanistan. It seems impossible, but we're still working on it. We haven't given up. We have applied for, um, scholar scholarship at IUC as well as the solidarity community, uh, committee at, at IUC to give us scholarship for our, at least two prominent female athletes so they can train and prepare for, for the Paris 2024 Olympic games. And I'm 100% sure that it's, it's possible. It's do it. We'll make it work. And um, um, I, I would appreciate. I would really would be helpful if we can get support from the Canadian Olympic Committee as well as Judo Canada in Canada mm. to make uh, to prepare those uh, girls for the upcoming Olympic Games. That is my um, immediate future goal at the in Judo. Awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on here, Freeba. I- I could probably talk to you for hours. There's just so much to, there's so much to learn, you know, um, and, and talk about, but, uh, for now, I think we'll, we'll end it here, but thank you again. So, so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information on Women Leaders of Tomorrow and their advocacy programs, which have now been extended to include providing food for families in need and internet to help ensure continued education for women and girls, you can go to womenleaders.ca. Links to donate and join the organization are in the show notes and at silvergoldwomen.com forward slash episode hyphen 14. If social media is your advocacy tool of choice, Follow and hashtag Walk with Afghan Women. More information about this campaign can be found in the show notes at silvergoldwomen.com forward slash episode hyphen 14. For more episodes, go to silvergoldwomen.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate, review, and share it too. Music for this podcast was crafted by the extremely talented Outwild. He knows what I like. Every time I hear these beats, I dance in my seat. If you like his music, you can listen on SoundCloud at 
It's Outwild. Follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at It's Outwild. Until next time, play hard, play smart.